Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Elite Rugby Banter podcast, the podcast where we talk all things rugby, uh, focusing obviously on South Africa, looking at the URC, but nothing is excluded. So as you'll hear, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about a little bit of everything. Um, and without further ado, let me introduce our guests. It's the what have become the regulars over the last few weeks. So first, Ant, how are you doing? How, how does it feel to be a regular? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a great status to finally get. When does my badge come? I want my little, you know, lapel pin that I can wear for recordings. It says I'm an official. Yeah, uh, send it through. I'm sure Adam will uh, be keen to to send the badges and just make sure they're being used. How's everything in Cape Town on your side? Uh, it's warm, lovely. Uh, Cape Town is beautiful as always. Uh, I'm busy fighting a mosquito because it means that summer's on its way, which is one of the downsides. But uh, I'll, I'll take a mosquito for sunny weather. Yeah, it sounds great. And um, jo- also joining us from Joburg, I believe, is Andrew. Andrew, how are you doing? Good, thanks. I am in Joburg. I was in Cape Town for the last week, actually. Um, I sort of snuck a visit in and didn't have beers with any of the buggers, sorry. Uh, I was down in, actually in Tilbach, not in, not in Cape Town. I was at a friend's, for a long time friend's wedding, so that was quite nice. Um, and yeah, the Cape's been, yo, the weather was just beautiful. Bit of, bit of wind, but yo, lovely sunshine, all that. Joburg's still a little bit, yeah, not as nice in the weather. In the weather <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Um, obviously, a busy weekend means not as much rugby watched, but we'll we'll get into the URC um, after our usual agenda, which is the news and some other potential, uh, yeah, announcements. But um, let's, I think, let's just get straight into what was the biggest news last week, which was that we had some cancellations, unfortunately, um, in the URC, and that was caused by sicknesses in both the Ulster and Glasgow squads caused by, we're still not 100% sure, but being speculated as E. coli and gastroenteritis and all of the good things, all of the things that just make you, yeah, you know, very sick, whether it's vomiting or whether that's, you know, something from the other side. Um, Yeah, and from your side, how did you feel about more games getting postponed after the couple of COVID years we've had? Um, yeah, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's an interesting one. You wonder pre-COVID would this have stood? Um, I mean, I suppose looking, they don't have plays, they don't have plays. It was interesting listening to Ryan Wilson on the Rugby Pass Offload podcast, which was this was recorded, I think, just after the Sharks game, and he was saying that, like, even the previous week getting into the game or getting very, very ill, um, which is why he managed to, to sneak a start. Um, but you're essentially just saying that they weren't having a good time of it. Um, did obviously wreak havoc with our fantasy uh, results. Not not falling in my favor, unfortunately, but that's how it goes sometimes. So, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's just weird that the two teams were staying so close to each other and despite being warned not to swim in the ocean, somehow both managed to catch the same virus that none of the African teams did. Yeah, and um, I know that there have been some conspiracy theories floating around, and there's been some blame, but also maybe a lack of blame. I think Martin Anai is the main URC guy who sort of tried to absolve South Africa from the blame and saying that Perhaps these teams brought it into the country themselves. Uh, Andrew, how do you feel? Do you are you on the fence, or do you believe one way or another, or are you more inclined not to comment? Um, firstly, you know this this Martin fellow. It's the first time I've heard of him, but I can understand with his surname why they're keeping the name Anai out of the South African press. <laughs> 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 um, uh, Phil, you, you and I both went to St Andrews. Um, do you remember DP fever doing the rounds? Yeah, it, that yeah. was very much a thing. Exactly. So I, I have another conspiracy theory to add to my long list that's developing. Um, I haven't been kicked off the pod yet, so I'm going to keep racking them up until I am. Um, you know, when we were at school, you know, Phil and I went to a very English school, and when we had to go play the Afrikaans schools, they were twice as big as we were, and they all had beards and 
um, they were much more developed than we were basically, and, and that's, that's why South Africa always produces such an incredible forward pack. Um, and yeah, it, <laughs> we we had this thing called DP fever because there was a, a, a Daniel Pinar High School uh, who were quite known for for having burly kids. And the DP fever used to set in about three days before that fixture every year. Guys would check into the sanatorium and say, oh, I've got a sore throat and oh, I've got the flu and oh, I can't play on Saturday um, just to avoid playing the farm schools. So my, my theory is that the South African teams have been doing so well this URC that the, the visitors have just decided they're going to clock out and, and call in sick for work this weekend just to avoid those fixtures. So there's there's my conspiracy 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 theory for the episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, mean that, that's certainly more believable than the South African teams poisoning two different uh, hotel rooms. Yeah, I, I I also think that it's um just the coincidence of those two teams would be ridiculous. So uh. Yeah, something else perhaps is going on. I mean, if you're Glasgow, who got smashed by the Sharks, perhaps they, I can understand them not wanting to play, but Ulster looking good, um, they would have, that would have been a great game. I was really disappointed that we didn't get these two matches um, a weekend without watching the Lions, especially when they're in the sort of form that they are, is a little bit more sad than it is, but um yeah, I don't know what's going to happen if the if the South African teams are going to get full points or if they're going to try to work out a, a, a potential new date for the games, but we'll see soon enough. Um, but yeah, we all, all the teams are playing again this weekend, minus internationals. So we'll see if the fever or the um, as as Andrew said, the DP effect, if, if if that disappears all of a sudden, or if perhaps we'll have some more. Hopefully not. No more postponements. Um, and I, I think we'll move straight on to something, I think for me, equally as ridiculous. Um, so New Zealand rugby, again in the news for the wrong reasons this week. Uh, their quarterfinal in the Rugby World Cup, the Women's Rugby World Cup, is at exactly the same time as their international this week against Japan. Um, and they... They, they released a statement apologizing, but almost saying that this is not our fault. We didn't really know how the World Cup works. Um, to me, their statement just made it worse. Uh, and it, it's not the first thing that they've sort of uh, thrown. Yeah, they, they just come off looking really bad, especially in regards to their women's team. It's like it, they're not doing themselves any favors. So, Ant, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I suppose, there's another uh, chronicle in the long list of failings of NZ Rugby to show respect to, I mean, again, a long list of people, but particularly their women's team. I mean, they had the famous tweet issue when on International Women's Day, they tweeted saying, thank you for supporting our men, and then including photos of Shannon Brazil and Severis, and didn't mention anything about the Black Ferns, um, you know, which they... What like a week later, kind of hurt, like tried to rush under the carpet and I apologize from the wrong account or some nonsense. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, they, this the story. I mean, it's not just like yes, obviously at the quarterfinal in theory you might not know the schedule, but as tournament hosts, they knew that if they qualified for the quarterfinals, this was going to be the time slot, and that was known like a year ago. Um, so it was very, very, very easily avoidable. You know, it's not like a last-minute scheduling thing that they only found out because the Black Swans made the quarterfinal. Like this was, this was always going to be the time stop they played. And as the five times champions, it was very likely they were going to make the quarterfinal. So, you know, it's just a very yet another slap in the face of the women's game from from New Zealand rugby. Um, and even their tweet apology was a bit <laughs> like, yeah. So you know, this kind of happened, and it's kind of we just didn't think about it was basically their wording. Um, yeah, which is just kind of poor, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, Andrew, any any strong feelings? No, like Anne said, it's just a really bad uh, continuation of that theme where they have the gender-based violence offenders being celebrated on Women's Day and now this. But it also sort of hints to the fact, you know, if 
if the same people were involved in scheduling the tests as were organizing the World Cup, there wouldn't have been this issue. So for me, the the reading between the lines, there's like this World Cup has been organized by a very different team to the people who deal with the usual high high echelons of rugby in New Zealand. So like it, you wonder if it was treated with the respect it deserved being a World Cup. I mean, I know it was postponed and there were logistics and challenges and whatever, but as, as Ant said, like they knew about this a long time ago. It's it's poor form from New Zealand rugby and they've basically put their hands up and said mere culpa, but look how good the Black Ferns are doing. And that's not it's not really good enough. Yeah, no, agreed. Exactly. It, it, they just come off as too much of an afterthought, like the men's rugby is where all the priority is. Um, but yeah, let's touch quickly on the how the World Cup is going. So unfortunately, the Springboks women's team were unable to get past uh, what would be a formidable hurdle in, in England. Uh, they lost, I think it was 75-0 this weekend, which wasn't a surprise. England are the favorites and clearly the best team in the world. And while they still have some, you know, big matches, they're playing the quarterfinal this weekend. Um, I, I, I think for the Springboks, the, the match against Fiji was, as we've mentioned, I think in the previous weeks, the real match where they needed to get a result. And that one was... Very close, uh, last-minute loss, but without that win, there was unfortunately no chance of making it to the quarterfinals. Um, this weekend, we have New Zealand against Wales, Canada against USA, England, Australia, and France, Italy. So should be a, an action-packed weekend of quarterfinals to look forward to. Um, Andrew, are you going to try and catch any of it? Uh, I will still try catch some of it. Um... Amy from South Africa is refing one of the quarterfinals. I'll forget which one. Um, so congrats to her on doing that. I'll try and see if that one's in a reasonable time zone. Um, yeah, just a comment on the the ladies' side. Like they they showed a lot of fortitude in those first two games. Um, the third one against England, that the mighty English women's team who now won what 27 or 28 games in a row. Um, we were never going to win that one. And after targeting Fiji and playing the same starting lineup against France and Fijiana. Um, Stanley Robbenheimer basically just shuffled out so that everyone had at least a game at the World Cup, which I think, given the fact that they were never really going to beat England realistically, was the right thing to do in terms of developing players and, and having women be able to say, oh, I played at the World Cup and have that experience. Um, they got thumped. There's no two ways around it. The, the zero probably hurts more than the 75 in my eyes, given the, the gulf between the teams. But um, I think they did enough in the first two two games to to garner a little bit of respect. I think that the people who understand women's rugby will know that that third fixture was always going to be a bit of a washout. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think still well done to them. They will have ticked some boxes. It's disappointing to go out on that note. Um, but, yeah, I think South African women's rugby, hopefully by the next World Cup, will be in a much better place. You know, we're 15 years behind the likes of New Zealand and England in terms of development of the women's game. So we need to bear that in mind. Yeah, and I think last week we spoke um, about Paul Delport and his views on the sort of lack of development of yeah. of Springbok women's rugby. And do you think going forward, this sort of at least sets a platform for us to move on with our development? Um, or do you think we're just going to sort of go back to where we have been in the past and not really focus? Yeah, look, I mean, I have no idea what the machinations are behind the scenes at, at SA Rugby. I mean, they they did put out a statement after the whole double thing saying that they're building and they're on their way and uh, it's difficult to juggle all the priorities with a little bit of finances. So, you know, one, one would hope so. It feels like there's been quite a lot of goodwill generated towards women's rugby in general and particularly the Springbok women after their couple of good results against Japan and Spain. Um, so, you know, it would be nice if there was some continued support in the women's game and allowed um, yeah, us to become maybe a bit more professional set up and actually like improve on the world stage. I think, as you say, we, we showed enough in our first two games being quite being surprisingly competitive against France and then, you know, being a last minute try away from getting our first win. One would hope that that shows there's good signs and, and enough grounds for support going forward. Yeah, exactly. Let's hope so. Um, t 
two two quick uh, news items that we'll touch on. So, firstly, Vilko Lowe has he was rumored before, but he's officially signed for the Bulls next year. Um, moving from the Harlequins, where he won a Premier League title, and he has been a bit on and off for the Springboks. He's been in a couple of squads, but he hasn't been a main squad member. Uh, Andrew, do you think this is a good move for Vilko? Do you think he'll be able to cement a potential Springbok position? Um, sure. Cracking the Springboks front row is a tough thing to do at the moment. There's, I mean, the guys like Thomas Detoy are struggling to crack it, and, and he's a world-class prop. So I think jumping straight into the Springboks squad is maybe a tall order, but he's a good player. Um, we had some good years of him down in the Cape, but he did start his professional career. He comes from Boerland, I think, but he started his professional career at the Bulls. So apparently it's a bit of a homecoming for him, which is, I guess, nice and sentimental. And I think the Bulls will do well with him. Um, they they need a bit of stability in that front row. I don't know I don't know if either of you guys know where Trevor Nakan has been. Is he injured? The, the yeah, thanks for, for racing 92. Uh, as he moved on. Okay, well, that explains it then. Um, <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible draft pick at the beginning of the season in, in context then. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Bulls, yes. The Bulls have been... Um, the Bulls have been struggling in, in the front row, not only at hooker uh, with Johan Krobola's injury, but at the props as well. So I think they'll be excited to have him in the ranks, yeah. Yeah, and um, a, a, I think a quick one that was released earlier today, maybe very recently, was that uh, Jean-Luc Duplessis was spotted training with the Stormers. So, uh, and I think given Mani Libok should at least be... Um, with the SAA squad, if not the main Springbok squad, do you think this is just reinforcement or perhaps he'll be a front runner for them with Libok missing? Did, did he ever leave the Stormers? <laughs> I, I believe he went to Japan briefly, oh. but I have no idea how old he is. I thought, I thought he's just been perennially injured. I mean, he's young, isn't he? Like 26, 7? I mean that I that's not young for a rugby player, and we may be getting on, but <laughs> it's not all. Well, it, yeah. I mean, it depends. He's twenty-eight. Twenty-eight, yeah. So Look, I, mean, I mean, he's 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 too old to be making a Springbok debut and like pushing that. But I mean, he's still young-ish. I mean, it's not like he's Lionel. Um, oh, Matt's Probably. gonna kill me. Lionel from here. <laughs> Um, you know, like, and we'll, we'll maybe touch on this a little bit later. But yeah, I mean, he's he's very much still an option. He's just perennially injured. I'm just surprised that he's you know actually alive with two working knees. But you know, he was always a handy player. I mean, he's not, as I said, not going to be a, a world beater, but he's a good man to fill in the job. Um, yeah, but between him, Lebok, Willem Serpy players there, Kate Molitor, Sashin was there, and Komazelu. Like there's no shortage of tens at the Stormers at the moment. If that's the case, as Andrew very well knows. Um, I think that's the, probably the question you need to ask: is Are you going to draft him, Andrew? Uh, that remains to be seen. I don't want to give away too much, uh, too much of my tactics here. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a definite yes. <laughs> Damn. Speaking of uh, draft tactics, and maybe we'll be giving away a little bit too much for next year's Super Rugby draft. The um, the Super Rugby squad announcements were made earlier today. So, yeah, let's start with you, Andrew. Was there anyone who stood out for you who you've maybe got your eye on, or eye on sorry, um, but also that you're willing to tell us about? Because I know if there's someone who you really think is a dark horse, you're not going to tell us. <laughs> um, there were a few new names in each of the squads. I mean, I only saw the Satyrs and the Hurricanes and then um, Phil, you sent around that video of that young up-and-comer who's now with the Chiefs, apparently, um, but you know, school schoolboy highlights are not always translated into top top tier performances unless you're Sasha and Gomazulu. Um, uh, yeah, th there's a lot of consistency across the squads. Um, I'm not too too fussed about not knowing players, which is always good. <laughs> um, coming into URC, that was always the problem. Is like, who the hell is Jamie Hodgson and Neil Murray and I don't know, all these different names, and then you, you, you get to know them over time. But the Super Rugby squads are nice and familiar. I feel much more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we even someone like Milani Nanai, who's back, and he's back with the Crusaders, we know him very well from his days with the Blues. Um, 
Ant, anything that stood out for you in terms of any of the squads? I mean, there's not too much like dramatic reveal, I think. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would say was interesting was that the Crusaders put out a tweet saying, you know, farewell to the guys that are leaving us. And they didn't mention Matera, George Bridge or Bryn Hall, which, you know, was just a bit odd. Okay. <laughs> and as a, yeah, as a big um, George Bridge fan, I'm sure you would, would take that quite personally. Yeah, I didn't know that they did that. I mean, you can maybe understand it with Matera, <laughs> but uh, yeah, George Bridge has been, a, if nothing else, a loyal servant. So that seems harsh. And yeah, yeah, yeah well, um, before we get to some of our URC's winners and losers, which is, um, you know, the way that we're going to do it going forward. We just uh, have two internationals so already this weekend, even though there's URC, even though there's all sorts of other things happening. We have two internationals this weekend. Firstly, Japan are playing New Zealand um, on Saturday morning, followed by, I think it's Scotland and Australia later on Saturday. So, yeah, uh, I think that Scott, the Scotland internationals didn't play last week. I, I didn't even realize it with my draft team, despite you know, Darcy Graham not being included, and maybe some other players that I don't. But um, I think Scotland, Australia, in terms of a level playing field, is the more interesting match. Uh, let's just throw out some quick predictions. And how how you feel for that one? Look, Australia have a very, very, very tough tour. So you know, if this is the one, if they want to win again, this is definitely the one they need to start with. Um, so yeah, they they really the pressure should be on them to to try and get this result right. Um, oh, I suppose in turn, and then New Zealand. I mean, should should walk Japan because they're New Zealand. But, yeah, you know, I, I think some... I think I think that the Scottish game will be you know, potentially quite close. Yeah, definitely the more interesting game. I think I saw something that every time Japan have played New Zealand, they've conceded at least fifty points. So I'm sure they'll try to turn that one around. Andrew, uh, looking out for anything in particular from those two games? Uh, I mean, so Scotland has been a bogey side for Australia for a number of years now. They've they've had a number of shock results, and it's no longer really a shock when Scotland does beat Australia, especially at home. Um, and the, the Scottish teams, I feel like I mean, the, the URC results have been a bit up and down. Like you have Glasgow beating the Bulls and then getting thumped by, I think it was the Sharks. Um, and yeah, I don't know how much you can read into those results, but the the key players seem to have been been stepping up for for their local teams. So the the challenge always with these things is how do you get the the players to be in sync in like two weeks, which is I guess a challenge for everyone. But it feels a bit funny to have international teams that have barely played together and then just thrown on the pitch. Um, and the Springboks have had their alignment camps and stuff, but it's three days. Like how, how much can you really get right? But um, I'll, I'll be cheering for Scotland, no doubt. Um, I spent some some great weekends there at Murrayfield and Edinburgh, and love the love the atmosphere there. Um, the the un the unaccompanied second verse of Flower of Scotland, which is basically fuck the English, which is brilliant. Um, so I'm I'm very much looking forward to that fixture. Like like Anne said, I think New Zealand's a foregone conclusion. Just it's how how by how much. Whereas Scotland Australia, I think, is a little bit more could go either way yeah yeah very much agree i think that's the game to watch in terms of um yeah i don't i actually don't know who the favorite would be i i think scotland maybe but i haven't looked at it um so that just shows how close it is i think just you know that sort of uncertainty um yeah some of the the more interesting things are going to be like which team does australia put out like will they play Michael Hooper after his break, will they back their young fly half or will they go back to Bernard Foley again? Like, who will they play in the locks? Like, there's a lot of interesting questions about the Australian side and they don't feel very settled. Whereas Scotland, I think we know mostly like who they're going to trot out and we know how they're going to play. Except for Finn Russell. Well, Finn Russell's not there, yeah. So, exactly. Uh, yeah, so who's I, fly half, Ant? I mean, after his... You know, match-winning penalties and drop goals this weekend. I mean, it's got to be uh, Adam Hastings, one would think. But you know, I mean, the Scots aren't known for always following what makes sense. 
Yeah, and I think from a South African perspective, we can expect to see the likes of Duan van der Merwe, Piers Guman, um, the, 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 the Scottish um, turncoats. I don't know. What else can we call them? <laughs> I think that's, that's appropriate. Yeah. Should we, should, we, should we just talk about the fact that Jack Dempsey might make his debut for Scotland against Australia? Yeah, I think we should. So let me start by saying that uh, the we, we've spoken a little bit about the eligibility laws and the, the changes that, that have happened and the way that they've happened. So and I think Andrew's this, come out strongly in favor. Exactly. But this this one is a little bit different because it's probably it? the first one. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's the first one where it goes from. Australia, as much as we might uh, like to rag on them, they are a tier one country. And Scotland, they may be closer to tier two than even Australia, but ultimately they're still a tier one country. So for someone like Jack Dempsey to go from Australia to Scotland, it um, I think even in terms of the most sort of Andrew-like, well, let's ask you, Andrew, you are very in favor of these uh, rules. So how do you feel about this one? I mean, I don't like it from a aesthetics point of view. Like, it doesn't feel good to have guys switching between tier one nations, and that was never the intention of the rule. But also, Jack Dempsey's like surplus to requirements in Australia. He's been out of the country for three years. Um, if Scotland want him, I mean, it does it does dilute the idea that Scotland is a team representative of Scotland. But we just talked about three South Africans who are undoubted starters, and that. When you hear Duan van Amova or or Piers Kuman in an interview, they they they're not very Scottish. <laughs> um, <laughs> given the words are easier to learn for their anthem than ours, but I think that that horse is sort of bolted in a way. Like if I, I don't hold it against Jack Dempsey as a person for exploiting the loophole and getting more international rugby under the belt, but it's yeah, as, that's not why the rule was put in place, and it's a little bit. It's a little bit of a sour taste, but that that's just the lay of the land, in my opinion. Now, yeah. Before before I go to Ant to provide a, an immediate rebuttal, I, I would just say it, to me, it seems like World Rugby went with the view or the sort of idea or mandate even that they want to increase the level, increase even maybe the competitiveness, but like try to make international rugby as um as good as possible so even if jack dempsey isn't the best australian player if he's better than scottish players they'd rather have him playing for scotland um which i i don't necessarily agree with but you know that's how i see that they've taken the ruling and i know you have strong feelings about this so now is your time to really just uh let loose well i think it's just stupid i mean no, I mean, I've, I've, I've never been a particular fan of anyone swapping eligibility, you know, whether it's VPNL or Piescuman you know, going across to other nations, Kaduan getting capped for Scotland. I mean, I've always thought that that's a bit silly. Um, you know, I kind of softened on that a little bit when they made it five years, because then at least, like, you know, you've you've earned your keep a little bit. You know, so the whole Fakatara issue with him, you know, kind of jumping through a loophole, three month eligibility, whatever, to most of these. A bit ridiculous, um, you know, particularly when you've then got them throwing out Spain and stuff like that over loopholes um, um, and, and finicky details. But you know, to, to do something like this, to just to have people switch willy nilly, um, really just defeats the whole point of it. You know, I mean, I get the argument that Charles Pietau is Tongan um, more than you know Jack Dempsey is Scottish, but. Charles Pietal was born, schooled, raised, played for junior in the twenties. I mean, he's no I don't think he's any more Tongan, you know, it's you know, parents or grandparents just like Dempsey is for Australia. So, you know, if you have an issue with the Dempsey thing, you have to have an issue with Charles Pietal and I have an issue with both. Um, you know, I think you make your bed, you choose where you want to play, and you know, that's tough. I mean, you know, we can look at it in a different light, but you've got someone like Peter Gustav or Kula, obviously you've got a captain New Zealand, um, in uh, June against uh, Ireland, now being left out in their two squads and not even making the New Zealand Day squad. So he's now probably not going to play Test Rugby again. Um, 
unless he waits for three years to play for Fiji. But, you know, that was his choice for trying to make it for New Zealand. Um, you know, he wanted that one all black cap and tough. You make your decision, live with it. Like, I think allowing people to move around kind of discredits the game a little bit. And also, it disempowers teams that are actively trying to improve their own structures. You know, if you look at your teams like Argentina, Romania, Georgia, Chile, Uruguay, these guys are working incredibly hard to try and develop their own rugby within their own systems. If you compare that to, say, a Tonga, Fiji, like, there's significantly less grassroots development happening in those countries. Um, and what is happening is, you know, funded by World Rugby. You know, I mean, if you look at the support that the Fiji and Drua get versus, say, what the World Rugby are pumping into Chile, that's worlds apart. The world, world Rugby obviously has a bit of a soft spot for the Pacific Islands and is pumping a lot of support into them. So between World Rugby and New Zealand developing all of the island players, they've got a huge leg up over other countries. And I just think it's fundamentally unfair. And now if you add on this eligibility thing where players that were born, raised, schooled, trained, tapped by New Zealand, then can go back and play for an island team when they've got you know, no connection. I mean, I've got a British passport and I've got as much connection to England as, as Pietar does. You know, I've spent all of one day in England. Um, and I think that that's, yeah, it's just grossly making the playing field unfair between various nations. I think you've, yeah. you, you're, it's a crime that you're starving England of your services and um, don't know if the box are going to come knocking. You surplus to requirements here, so maybe you should head over that side. <laughs> No, look, if, 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 Eddie, if Eddie comes calling, I'll, I'll answer the call. But, you know, that may, that's my decision. And then when Rusty asks next week, you know, I shouldn't be allowed to change back. Yeah, no, I mean, you're making some really good points. And, I mean, I'm, I'm also playing devil's advocate. But it also, I mean, you can see arguments from, from different perspectives. Like, the, rugby's a professional sport now. These guys are doing it as a career they want to play at the highest levels and you know if, if there's but then what's the point of having test rugby well uh, if, if, if rugby is is a professional sport and it's all about where you go for the most money then make it fully club you know the, the thing that i like about rugby versus that football is that you actually have test rugby being the pinnacle yeah that's that's um, and there's that's, the, the vibe around test rugby is fundamentally different to that of club rugby whereas in football i mean look i'm no great expert on football but you know Test matches are kind of an afterthought until the World Cup comes. And even then, you know, if you ask the casual fan, I think they would rather their team win the Premiership um, or you know, the Champions League or whatever than necessarily have a team win Euros or the World Cup unless they're England because they don't win anything. Yeah, that's a big call. I think um, South African football fans, just because you know, there's not a chance with with uh, all no actually no no respect to the Bafana Bafana um but there's no chance in the next however many years that that's a possibility to win the World Cup so I think any English fan the it it's a lot more of a difficult question you know uh Man United if you're a Man United supporter or an England World Cup win but I I I get what you're saying and then fundamentally I agree with you on almost all your points um I think Heritage-wise, it gets a little difficult. I hate the residency stuff, and like you agree that five years makes it a little bit better. I mean, I could also play for England, um, maybe I, just because I was born there, and I mean, I have a possible, maybe I feel a little bit more English, but just the fact the grandparent one really irritates me, and that's mm -hmm. still there. Like, it feels like, sure, if your father or mother is English, that's a little bit better, but... Having, I think even Lambie could have played for Scotland if he didn't play for the Springboks, just because he had a Scottish grandparent. Those sort of ones also feel like loopholes still, and that's an easy one to cut out. So just make it parents, not grandparents. I think that's how Dempsey can play. I don't think, or maybe yeah. it's just yeah, I think he, I think he's grandparents, yeah. So yeah. like grandparents is such an easy one to cut out. Like grandparents is well, hard. I, I don't think the just also I don't think the transfer thing works in eligibility either. So I think like if someone I don't know, who's hasn't played the Springboks in a while. Um, but anyway, if they went overseas and... So, I mean, someone like Wilco Lowe is a great example. I mean, he hasn't played a test since, what, 2018. He's been in the right. UK for three years. I don't think he's suddenly eligible for England. I think you have to have that blood link for this transfer rule to work. Yes, yeah. But 
They, I think I remember them saying it has to be like a meaningful connection. So it's also very subjective. What does so that mean? Yeah. I, I, I think it's like if you're someone like Charles Piertal who has, I, I think it well, comes up. Like you a, have a Tongan tattoo or something, some tribal tattoo for your connection <laughs> yeah. or something. I no, actually man. have. Well, again, but it, probably, it probably actually is that you have to have a Maori tattoo to prove your connection, and the Chileans are like, "Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. just culturally biased against us." Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. So yeah, it's probably something ridiculous like that. Um, no, I mean, it, that's probably what meaningful means. There's probably some like Pacific and This is not knocking Pacific Islanders or their culture or anything, obviously, but it's just it's it's, it's referencing how silly the world rugby rules are um, exactly. and how much they favour the, the Islanders. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let, we'll we'll see how the internationals go this weekend. We'll see if um, Jack Dempsey makes impact for his new international team, Scotland. As much as we may or may not be against it. But uh, yeah, I think let's let's move on to the URC and some weekend results. So like I said, we didn't have. Lions playing against Glasgow. We didn't have the Sharks playing against Ulster, but we still had a, a few good games to enjoy. Um, and we're going to go through some winners and losers. And I think I'll start first with just one of my winners, mostly just to backtrack, not backtrack, but to um, sort of, I guess for me, he redeemed himself a bit from last week because he was on my losers list last week. And that's Marcel Katsia. So he moves to my winners this week just because I think he... Had an amazing game. Uh, he was the official man of the match. He scored a try for the Bulls in their impressive win. Um, yeah, and the, the Bulls really sort of uh, ran away with it only towards the end of the game. They, it, it was very close until sort of the 60-minute mark, and then they ended up winning by 20 points um, with Marcel Kutsia playing the full ATT and really the driving force in terms of not just the comeback, but... The whole game um so i'll well the, the bulls were i mean as you say it was, it was a pretty much a a kicking battle until the point that jan hendrik vessels coming off the bench scored the try but i i thought it was a pretty clear foot in touch just before he grounded it and that really broke the, the opposition i don't know did you did you manage to catch that that piece anyone got opinions on that I, I did see that try, and it, it felt like the whether it was the TMO or the you know the broadcasting team, it felt like every time we were about to see the conclusive piece of video, <laughs> they sort of just disappeared. And normally that happens against the away team, you know. It's like um, <laughs> they, they they don't want to show the conclusive evidence, but I I I didn't ever see the conclusive evidence, even though it felt like it was always about to come. It felt like his foot was in touch, probably from the his ankle and the way that it was. But as we we're about to like see conclusively that his foot was in touch, they moved to a different angle. Mm, I I felt like I saw enough to to say that it should have been ruled out, and I think the commentators agreed. Um, but and, and that was you know, unfortunately for them, unfortunately for the Bulls, like the impetus that they needed to then break away, and and they were. They were very good by that point. They'd won, they'd ground down the opposition, and they they really did come out nicely from there. And Marcel capped it nicely. Yeah, good pick for a winner. Yeah. So I think it's just what we needed from um, Marcel. You know, it's meant to be the leader. He's meant to drive the team from the front, and you know, he has been quiet the last couple of weeks. So it was good for him to come out and develop deliver a good performance. Yeah, I, I also saw today that uh, this weekend is actually going to be his last game for the Bulls. So, you know, it's sure. it's okay. he's he's leaving quite soon. I, I didn't realize it was that soon, definitely. So I guess he'll want to go out with a bang this weekend. But um, yeah, moving on to other other winners. Let's go to you, Andrew. Um, you, who is one of yours? So maybe I'll offer Dan Sheehan. Um, he's had a really good season, and I think it's just time we we gave him his dues. Um, he's obviously the hooker for for Leinster. Um, he scored a try and got held up over the line for another one um, off the back of a, a rolling mall, which has become an absolute weapon for Leinster. They're obviously one of the top teams in the league and one that everyone wants to beat. Um, but he he's really shone. I think this season he's really come into his own. Um, and yeah, 
he's electric off the back of the the mall, but also in open play. He's a pretty dynamic runner and can throw a pretty mean dummy and sidestep as well, which is always lacking for a hooker. So I, I really thought he, he, he did well this weekend. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you 100%. I think he's also been playing, uh, given I think it's Ronan Kelleher's injury, like Leinster have been playing him almost 80 minutes every single match. So he's really, you know, making his uh, his money's or <laughs> making his presence felt just given how much he's playing. And um, I think I also thought perhaps Ronan Kelleher was, you know, better than him going into at least last season, maybe even this season. But I think maybe now we'll see also, perhaps he's uh, cementing his position as number one island hooker too. Um, yeah, so Ant, how about one of your winners? Um, so I've kind of got a bit, well, two two winners. Um, and it's mainly just more of a category potentially. But it was just a good weekend for old flyouts. Um, you know, I mean, uh, everyone always fixates on the next uh, young incoming player. I mean, particularly in South Africa, looking at it between Gonzalo and Jordan Hendricks. So that's kind of been the, the raging debate that down here for a while. But you know, there were two really good performances from some of the Bali flowers over the weekend, uh, in particular Monestain and Reese Priestland, um, who are you know, obviously getting on a bit. They're not able to take to the line as well as maybe they did when they were younger. Um, I mean, if that could ever be accused at Monet, but. Um, you know, I think there's it just shows that there's very much value still for older, calmer, tactical kicking uh, flyoffs, uh, particularly in tough northern hemisphere conditions. And I think Monestain was did a flawless off, off the tee again, um, and you know, reached Priestland with some beautiful cross kicks. Um, yeah, it was just a very good performance from both of those flyoffs. Yep, uh, again, agreed 100%. I, I think I even had Reese Friesland as an option. He had two cross kicks, which just went uh, straight to the man and scored um, tries. In that game, yeah, the Stormers, if you look at running meters and possession and that sort of thing, they really dominated those stats. But it seems like they sort of got outplayed by the more strategic sense of things and that a lot was to do with how Priestland played the game. He um, He obviously contributed to the tries in terms of the cross kicks, but he also just controlled the game and he didn't allow the Stormers, despite having more of the ball and having those running meters to ever really control the game. Mm, I'm pretty, pretty, sorry, go ahead. No, it's not finish your point. I'll jump in after. I was going to say, you know, he's, he's just been called back into the Wales squad at the age of 35 and there was a lot of people asking or raising eyebrows at that. But um, I think that performance was exactly what he needed to silence the the critics out there. It was incredibly, uh, you know, he was pulling the strings. And he's been playing a little bit behind Jared Evans um, there for, for the last few weeks. But he, he finally got his his gap and, um, yeah, show what he can do. So I think Wales will be very happy that he's on form. Um, yeah, Monet, Monet was good too. Of course, he's not going to make an appearance for the box. But uh, just doing Monet staying things, which is always good to see. Yeah, um, I think maybe that's just it's a nice little segue into my one of my losers for the week. Uh, not that there was uh, too many standouts, but I think Philip Hartenberg was found you know, severely out of position for both of those cross kicks. Um, you know, so credit for for Breesland for identifying that. Um, but you know, it, it it shows the the downside of having a rookie win, a rookie centre playing at wing um, in tough conditions where you know, an experienced person is going to take. Advantage of that very, very quickly. Um, and, you know, I suppose for the most part, he had a pretty solid game. But, but you know, those were two very costly mistakes that you know, ended up costing the Storm as the result. Yeah, I mean, my my other loser for the week was John Dobson. Um, the, the Stormers have lost two games in a row in, in the European conditions, if we can put it that way. It's like wet and windy and miserable. Um, but... You've got to, playing in the Northern Hemisphere now, you've got to prep your teams to play in those conditions. Um, and to lose to the two teams that they have over the last two weeks is, as defending champions, I mean, we hold them to a higher standard now, but you felt like the Stormers were a little bit out of their depth and the conditions had a lot to do with that. So I'll put him down as a loser for the week for not prepping the team properly and also maybe getting some some questionable selections. Although, you know, Angela Davids hadn't been lighting the backline on fire before he was replaced by Sully Hartzenberg. So 
I mean, he's got a bit of a problem at wing there with Sonatla out and a long-term injury. Yep, I know. Yeah. I, I mean, okay. I, I, th- I think the um, it, it shows how it feels like a loss because I think the Stormers only drew last week. But uh, from a Stormers fan, you know, Andrew. It was against a Welsh team. That is a loss. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it felt as bad as a loss because this, I think this week was when they lost their um, unbeaten streak. It went from a win streak to an unbeaten streak, and now it's obviously gone. But that 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 does feel tough, and that goes to I think um, my next loser. I don't know. And do you want to mention something else before? No, you can you can mention your loser. Yeah, I mean it, it all comes together. So I feel bad for picking on hookers. I I think I went. One of my losers last week was Jan Hendrik Vessels, pretty much for the same issue. So Joseph Dwebo was is one of my losers for this week. I think it feels worse for him because, you know, he's been in the Springbok setup and it was the same issue. So the Stormers had a few opportunities where they had penalties, they kicked towards the the corner and they didn't get the line out. And yeah, the conditions were awful. They were really, really bad. But as as a now he's an international with a few caps under his name in these sort of uh, conditions in for his club or his province Dweber has to be doing better you know making hitting his jumpers from lineouts so to see the same issues coming up at this level was really disappointing um and i think it doesn't bode well for his future springbok opportunities yeah and look i mean it <laughs> I mean, it is an issue, but some of the throwing is just shocking. I mean, it's you know, throwing the tail ball in horrible conditions is hard, but I mean, like, they, you know, you could see they mix up their coils to try and make it easier for him. There was one on their five yard where he just threw it like at solid 45 degrees. Um, <laughs> you know, like it yeah. was just shocking. <laughs> horrendous. So, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a fundamental technique issue that, that you know, I mean, I, you know, I always blows my mind how hookers get to this level. Like how do you get to senior rugby level without being able to throw straight? So, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's just a fundamental issue of game. I mean, we say it about tight ends that if it doesn't matter how good around the park you are, if you can't scrum, you can't play. Then the hook is if you can't throw your lineup balls, I'm sorry, but you you can't be on the park. Um, and that's a much easier thing to fix. Um, than, and it, yeah, it should just be the the minimum. So, whoever yeah, you yeah, need I mean, to pull up your socks. Like at schoolboy level, if you don't throw in straight, that's still you know. You're still going to get penalized for that, so it's like surely no, you yeah. should be frustrated. Yeah, it, it's a big problem at the moment for the the Springboks. I think behind Marks and, and Bongi, we were really hoping that Dweber would put his his performances for the box before the URC behind him and and find some form for the Stormers ahead of the end of year tour, and that hasn't happened. So I don't know what's what's going to happen in terms of selections for the box squad for November and for his minutes, but um, I can't imagine it's going to be good. Yeah, for sure. I I, I think we're going to um, just move on to one more winner. Andrew, you've got a winner for us just to end on a positive note. Yeah, to end on a positive. I thought, you know, going into this weekend's rugby, um, I wouldn't have predicted a Welsh derby to be arguably the best game of the weekend. Um, but Dragons-Ospreys was... Actually, a hell of a good spectacle to watch. Um, five tries to four, I think it was. Um, and there was one, a few few players who, who did really well. Um, Wales will be happy to see George North coming back to some form as well. But I think he walked off with a slight injury. So there's a bit of a cloud above his name. Um, but the, 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 young, the young buck who's just made his way into the Wales squad for the first time is Rio Dyer on the wing for the Dragons. And he ran over 200 meters in that game, including two tries. Um, one of them given was an intercept um, from a prop pass. So as a winger, that's like <laughs> taking candy from a baby, a very, very big, hairy baby. Um, <laughs> but he, he did really well, and he showed uh, some some good consistency for, for the Dragons, who, who've not had the best of starts to the season. So Wales will be looking forward to seeing him in a red jersey. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him more in, in the URC. He's, he's been, he, he and Keelan Giles have, have both been looking like similar dynamic players. One, one of those players who, you know, he gets the ball in his hands and you just sense something's going to happen. Um, so kudos to, to Rio and kudos to the Dragons for a very entertaining win over the Ospreys. 
Yeah, I think from from what I've seen, he obviously has that out and out pace, which is really exciting. But he also has those like really quick feet. So I think against Ulster, I'm not sure if it was one of the wings or the fullback, but uh, you know, just just based on the footwork alone, he just managed to breeze past. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he had a beautiful. I think it's probably the same the same trial that you're talking about there. Or were you talking about a previous weekend, Phil, or this past weekend? Uh, yeah, this past weekend. Yeah, he had, he had that beautiful little shimmy inside and out, and it totally beat the the, the defender. Um, it was really, really quite embarrassing for the for the other wing. But as you say, like beautiful feet to evade the man, and then the other one was just pure pace and, and reading that pass off Nicky Smith, Shane Oaks. Um, it was a classic uh, camera angle of Rio Dyer like charging down the touchline about a score, and in the background there's just this. Um, big prop with his hands on his head, just looking absolutely distraught about what he's done. <laughs> yeah, because the game was still close at that point. So yeah, just a, an awful one for a prop to have to go through such things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so just looking forward, we obviously have a full, like we said earlier, full week of um, URC fixtures. We're hoping that uh, we go on without any weird late minute, last minute postponements or anything. But um, yeah, we're just just in a quick word before we say goodbye. Anything that you're particularly looking forward to from the URC perspective? Uh, Ant first. Or let's go to Andrew. I think, I think we've lost Ant for now. <laughs> I can just see his ceiling on the on the camera, but now nah, there he is. You coming back there, Ant? I was saying, um, yeah, I'm excited for local derby. Sharks, uh, Bulls should be a cracker. Yeah. Yeah, two local derbies coming up. It uh, should be fun. But uh, without the, without all the internationals this weekend, it's it's going to be not just a nightmare for draft, but also for the teams to to get themselves together. I mean, the Sharks are going to go back to their Curry Cup side now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, from a Lions perspective, I think it's great. But let's let's hope for two good games, and um, let's hope the rest of the URC also throws out some crackers. Uh, and then we'll be able to recap and retalk and look at our winners and losers next week. Um, thank you all for joining us. I, I hope you found some of our comments as insightful as always. And we'll see you next week for another round of ELB. Cheers. Cheers.